Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Oh yes, hello people. Hello, hello. welcome to Invoking Witchcraft podcast. Mm-hmm. I am Joshua. You may know me as J. Allen Cross. And I am Britton Boyd, also known as Archaic Honey on Instagram. Welcome to our tea slurping podcast here, where we're going to be talking about all things witchy. Oh, yes. We're, we're slurping our tea. We have something special for you guys today. Um, so Britton and I are kind of newly acquainted friends. We've been kind of hanging out, talking with each other um, off and on for probably a couple of years now at this point. But we haven't really sat down too much and really dug into the nitty gritty. And we also realized that you guys have not either. We are new to a large portion of you. Some of you probably know us from our Instagrams. But as this podcast gains momentum, hopefully, fingers crossed, a lot of this will be new for you guys. You guys won't know us. And uh, so we want to get to know each other and we want to help you guys get to know us. So what we've decided to do with this episode is we have some questions for each other mm-hmm. and to kind of cross-examine ourselves. You guys will get to learn a little bit about our backgrounds, what we're into, and maybe some other quirky things that you may not have wanted to know, but we're here to bring it to you anyway. Yeah. So neither of us know what we're going to ask each other. And this is going to be totally off the cuff. I'm a little bit nervous, to be honest, but I'm very excited because Jay and I haven't, yeah, we've known each other for a couple of years, but we haven't really dug into like the nitty gritty of who each other are. So we wanted to like save that conversation for the first episode of this podcast so that he and I can get to know each other and that y'all can get to know who we are in a deeper and maybe weirder way. It's going to be exciting. Grab some tissues. I don't know what's going to happen. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to get into it. Yeah. Do grab, you grab want to go first? Do I want to go first? Yeah. In what way? So this is so hard because we're both Aries. Who goes first? We both do. Right. Because Aries motto is fuck it, I'll go first. Right. Yeah. That's just how we rock it. Number <laughs> just one. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Do I go first asking you a question or do I go first you asking me a question? How about I, I have a good opener. So I'll go first by letting you go first with the response so we'll both be first okay <laughs> all right this is this is an easy one this is a good opener one um that i think will kind of get us into some places here uh what was if you remember your first spell oh my god oh i know it just popped into my head so i was pretty new to witchcraft and i had a splitting headache And I knew that it was related to, like, my environment and, like, I was going through a difficult relationship at the time and there was just a lot of stuff going on. So... How old were you at this time? Oh, how old was I? Oh, my gosh. I'm a late bloomer. So I was, like, my first intentional spell. I know I was doing, like, spell work, using air quotes right now, (laughs) when I was much, much younger. But I think I was about 26. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. When I did this. So I got a blue plate and a blue candle. And I don't quite, I think I dressed it with some peaceful mind oil that a good friend of mine had made. 
And then I utilized some lavender, hyssop, rue. I put rue in pretty much everything. Girl, same. <laughs> oh my God. Damn. I love rue so much. I love the smell and just its energy. It's such a great plant. And I just, She's so wise. Yes. And I burned it down and my headache disappeared. And like, I just felt lighter and better. And I think what I was doing was like getting some energetic gunk off of me with candle work. I love that. And that's actually a, a really well done spell for your first one. Usually people's first spells are just like a disaster. You're like, why did you choose those 97 particular herbs that you decided to use? But <laughs> that's actually a very nice spell for your first one. That's yeah, good. Yeah, it was really lovely. I have done disastrous spells. Oh, haven't we all? Oh, God. Everyone's, I remember I had to learn a big lesson a couple years back about I, I decided that it would be a good idea. I was working with a client who had a problem with a bunch of moving parts. And I'm like, oh, I can cast all of these spells at once and it will be totally fine. And no, turns out that's not how that works. So, right. so yeah, <laughs> I had to remind people a lot now. I'm like, okay, remember that your spells are like steps, right? You get, you need to get to somewhere. We're going to take it one step at a time. Cause if you just try and leap across that distance, it's just, you're never going to make it. Right. You have to one thing at a time. That is, is perfect. so wise. It took me way too long to figure that out. I should have known that way earlier. Yeah. But she cause, so <laughs> this is maybe an embarrassing story, but so my first spell was, oh, I was young. I was really young because it was when my parents had signed me up for uh, little league baseball. Oh, which was terrible. My parents trying to sign me up for sports when I was a little kid was just awful. It was, oh, <laughs> it, was it was terrible. Right. I ended up um, actually becoming an athlete and playing sports, but I apparently only play weird sports. So I grew up playing like equestrian polo. And really? um, yeah, wow. yeah, that was one of the things we did. Yeah. So that's a, a they had um, a, a polo league. Uh, where I grew up around La Grand, Oregon. Shout out to my LG people. But yeah, so I ended up doing like cross country and equestrian polo and stuff like that, which was very strange. Anyway, back to the actual story. My first spell was, so I hated playing baseball. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I was that kid who was like way out in the outfield making like daisy chains with the little white clover. Right? <laughs> like it's not paying attention. basic game in my opinion. No offense to any baseball fans out there. It's just hard. It's just so hard. And so I found out that, so I was maybe seven or eight. I found out that if I could make it rain, I didn't have to play. Look at you, weather witch. God. Well, and I even still remember. Okay. So granted, please keep in mind that I was like a small child when I came up with a spell. So how I would do it was I would lay out my front yard in the grass. I would look up at the sky and I would repeat over and over again. Rain, rain, come from Spain and never, ever go back again. <laughs> and it's hilarious because it doesn't rhyme unless you end it with an accent for no goddamn reason. Right. <laughs> Do you remember the rain making spell? I remember this as a child and I don't even think we knew that we were doing spell work where you draw a circle in the dirt and you draw a turtle and you spit on the What? Turtle. No, tell me about this. I don't know. That's what I learned from like kids in the neighborhood. They would draw a circle in the dirt. This was when I lived in the South in Florida. So you draw a circle in the dirt, you draw a turtle 
And then all the people who are there with you, you spit on the turtle and it's supposed to rain. Oh my God. I love that so much. It's so strange. Like thinking that you grew up totally normal (laughs) and then you recall these experiences where I was like, Oh God. Yeah. That was totally like a dirty witchcraft spell. (laughs) We were all (laughs) just spitting on a turtle. Oh God. Nobody love that though. I really love that really simple kind of that down home, you know, get a stick and a patch of dirt and Mm -hmm. spit and make it happen. I think that's kind of what both you and I are about. It's just like, Mm -hmm. If you're not spitting on it or you're not peeing on it, it ain't that old country folk magic. We said it at the same time. You got to pee on it. You got to pee on it. I think that's going to be the motto of this podcast is you got to pee on it. I think that's our first merch is just t-shirts that just say you got to pee on it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is it my turn? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Okay. So... For the astrology nerds, I am a sun opposite Pluto person, so I don't know how to do light banter. I just don't. Uh, So I go straight for the deep stuff. Let's do it. I'm here for it. Okay. So here it is. What was your earliest memory, and maybe from childhood, that made you realize that your perception and experience of the world wasn't part of the norm? So essentially, like, when did you kind of, like, have that first experience where you were like, oh. That's a hard one because I always kind of track this by either my magic side or my psychic side. Mm -hmm. And they're a little bit different. So when it comes to the witchcraft side, I don't ever remember a time in which I did not know that that is what I am or was or still am. Um, I simply felt like I was finding vocabulary for it. I always felt different. I always felt like I could do things that maybe other people couldn't. And then as I grew up, I started to learn words like witch. And as soon as I would hear those things, I would be like, oh, that makes sense. That is what I am. And it just felt right. Even when I was real little, mm-hmm. um, I was into it. So before I could even read, I would carry around our family Bible. So I was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. I still identify as Catholic, which freaks people out, but we'll get into that a little bit later. So we, of course, have Bibles in the house. And one of the Bibles that they gave me was like a children's Bible, but it looked like a big old book. I mean, you know, all Bibles look like big old books. Mm -hmm. And so I used to carry it around and tell people it was my spell book. Oh, wow. Indeed it is. (laughs) Which flash forward about 26 years and it is still my spell book um, to to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. So at least I wasn't wrong. But then back then, of course, I have an older sister who's like super Virgo. Um, And I remember her just being like, that is blasphemy. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds bad. So I'm not going to do it. But then the psychic thing, I remember feeling like a very definitive. I'm not sure if there was a moment, but a time. So this is interesting that you were talking about having a headache. Did, Did you find that when you first started doing this work that you got a lot of headaches? You know, not that I, I would have to think on that, but there was like kind of brain pressure, like, you know, they call it like a headband headache. It just felt mm-hmm. like there was something wrapped around my skull. Yeah. Cause I remember being a kid, I was probably seven 
I think I was seven. And it's what I call my download. So for about two weeks straight, I had just horrible migraines every night. And I don't remember a lot from back then other than I just remember laying on the ground in our living room, crying and clutching my head. And my parents were trying to feed me those little like grape chewable Tylenol or whatever. Mm-hmm. And after about two weeks, it just stopped. Mm. And then after that, I began to have dreams and then the dreams, I would then see them later or the events would happen or things like that. So it was right about that time when I started realizing that my dreams are lining up with things that I would then see later mm-hmm. that I eventually decided like, oh God, this is a thing. And that I had to tell one of my parents. So I ended up telling my mom and I don't think I ended up really telling her until about middle school, but it had been happening for a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's kind of the the intro to it for me. Wow. Yeah. I recall that it started with dreaming for me. And I think that dreaming point is such an important thing for folks who are coming into witchcraft to remember from their childhood if, if they can. I know not everyone dreams and recalls them very easily. But yeah, I remember when I was a child living in Florida, I think I was about six or seven years old. And I lived in the middle of fucking nowhere. My father was a ranger instructor for the army. So we lived in this very tiny, it was honestly like a tribal camp, really like there was 12 families that lived out there. They trained all of these rangers in like hand-to-hand combat in the swamps of Florida. And I recall one night I had a dream where it was like, maybe this might make some folks uncomfortable, (laughs) but I was having feelings that like a a young person of that age should, I mean, not to like say I shouldn't have felt them, but that were not normal for a seven-year-old, a spirit of a dead soldier who had been living in the swamp, like came to the door of our house. I remember waking up um, in my dream and going to our front door, opening the door. And there was this, this young man standing in muck, And he was just like covered in slime and he was like looking for help. And I was overwhelmed. And then I also had like a very strong sexual response to encountering. Interesting. Yeah. Encountering this spirit. And that dream to this day is still like very burned into my memory. And I don't even know exactly what I'm supposed to do with it still. (laughs) But that was. Okay. So. Yeah. Hold up, because we are getting into some territory here. Okay, so I did have something kind of similar to that. I was very young, probably about the same age that we're kind of talking about around in here. And I did have a dream once that I was in the woods. And there was a man in the woods with me. And I remember knowing that he was a ghost. Um. And this is also the one and only time I've ever had sleep paralysis too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I remember knowing that he was a ghost and he wanted something from me. I can't remember what he wanted, but I remember running from him in the woods and him chasing me down and catching me and grabbing me. And again, it was that weirdly sexual for for a young kid sort of experience. And then he disappeared kind of inside of me. Not not in like a sexual way, but like in more of like a spiritual kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I woke up and I had sleep paralysis. 
Oh, my Lord. It only lasted for maybe about five seconds, but just enough to really freak me out. But that is interesting. I wonder, I would be so curious to know that there's a book by, um, oh gosh, the name of them is slipping my mind, but it's called A Deed Without a Name. Mm -hmm. I really cannot remember who it is, but we can add that in down at the end of the show notes. He mentioned in the book, um, a lot of folks having like sexual experiences with spirits or having like sexual powerful feelings with them. And I wonder, yeah, that like has to be some form of a, of a, like a theme or something that like occurs for folks. Cause to me, like in witchcraft, it is for my own experience, strongly sexual currents and like understanding how to wield that and like, and move with it without it overwhelming you. And I think that that's like a touch. It was like feeling power. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just looked it up. Uh, a Deed Without a Name, Unearthing the Legacy of Traditional Witchcraft is a book by Lee Morgan. Thank you, Lee Morgan. Yes, highly recommend that book. It is so very good. Now that is really interesting because you're right. Sort of this sexual energy, and, and I'm not necessarily speaking about specifically sex magic, right. but magic spell casting when you tap into that energy and this is kind of what we're here to talk about on this podcast isn't necessarily like you know oh which color candles to use for this but that undercurrent that underside that the the depth to magic that is beyond what color candles you're using the actual reaching in and grabbing hold of it is very innately sexual and it reminds me so i'm I'm a big fan of esther perel she's a, a relationship therapist. She's wonderful. She has her own podcast. Um, But she says something interesting that just came to mind that I think really echoes what we're talking about here, where she says, sex is not a thing that you do. It is a place that you go. And I think witchcraft is very much the same. You go somewhere with it. You tap into a different place because I very much feel that for the moment when I'm casting a spell, see, when, when you cast, when, when you really cast, not just, you know, saying some words and, and lighting the candle, you can feel it come up from the ground. You can feel it in your toes. And then it's like, um, it's almost like a cyclone around you and you just have to let it sort of have its way with you. And then, but you need to stay, of course, in control. There's a lot of sort of, you know, consent feelings, of course, when it comes to um, witchcraft as well, because you are an active participant in it. Mm-hmm. And then there is a release. And it is very much like sex. That's interesting. I have never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I think it's these things from childhood and our experiences that we're taught to disregard as like, oh, it was a fluke or, oh, it was just a weird experience that you had. And it's like, no, that was witchcraft that I experienced as a child um, Mm -hmm. in like feeling that call. Yeah, cool. That's really fascinating that we both had similar experiences. I've never told anybody that. That's interesting. Yeah. But also going back to kind of that camp that you grew up in and kind of the, the way that you grew up, you make so much more sense the more I learn about you and your family and stuff like that. So for those of you who cannot see Britain right now, (laughs) they've got on 
camo as much as a zoom camera can show me. I, I actually, I can't see her. All I can see is her face because everything else is camouflage. She's just a floating head right now. Right. Um, she's got the hat. She's got the coat. Um, we're rocking it. So Right. Yeah. You know, weird tidbit, random fact about me um, and my birth story. I love birth stories. I think they really tell a lot about who we are. When I was born, I was supposed to be a boy. When they did the ultrasound, they're like, yeah, they're a boy. And I popped out and I had a vagina and surprised everyone. And I think I sort of let my dad down because he's like this military army grunt man who wanted a son, you know. And uh, I was born with like a mohawk, thick, full head of hair. And all the clothes that they had, my mom had gotten at the baby shower were all camouflage. Uh, I know. And I like still. That's how you lose a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I still wear camo. It's just part of who I am. I love it. You fit right in, in Northeast Oregon, I bet. Oh, yeah. Nobody sees camo. It's a fashion statement. Oh, yeah. I love it. So that was the thing. So when I was um, in high school over there, um, prom dresses came in camo. Um, So that was a big fashion statement. Big, poofy ball gowns that were all in camo. Oh, I love it so much. Mm. It's so good. I think I need a prom dress now. Okay. Who's going next? I have one for you. Oh, my goodness. So we're going to veer a little bit from the witchcraft um, because there is something about you that I think is very important for people to know. Um, When we touched on it a little bit in our first kind of teaser episode here, but you are a person who has hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. First of all, can you tell people who are listening where that trail starts and ends? Because this is not just a day hike that you go out and do. No, it is not a day hike. Um, It is a long distance trail that runs from Campo, California, right at the Mexican-Californian border. And it runs all the way through California, Oregon, Washington, and into Manning Park, British Columbia. And then to get back into the United States, you could hike back down the trail or you can go into Seattle or something like that. But yeah, in uh, 2017, I decided to abandon my six-figure business and go on a really long walk to figure my life out. And it's about 2,600 miles, and it changed my life. It was amazing, and I would do it all over again, given the chance. That is some crazy shit. Um, So how long did that take you? It took me from May 2nd to September 21st. So that's like five months. Yeah, that's actually pretty good time. It is a pretty good time. Most folks complete it in six months. But technically, it would be like five to four months of walking straight. Because I took Mm -hmm. about a month off. I got injured two times. I literally was walking on flat non-rocky trail and I tripped over my own feet and I took off all the skin on one of my legs and very thankfully oh it was such a weird experience (laughs) I went to I was like I was like 0.3 miles away from this hot spring and I get to the hot spring and I'm just covered in blood and a Lakota man is there he's wearing this he and his brother, they were both Lakota. They were wearing these bear necklaces. And I was like in a daze and I'm bloody. And I was watching them and like mesmerized by their bear claw necklaces. And 
I was like, are those bear claws? And he's like, what the fuck happened to you? <laughs> I'm like, who is this person? No, I'm like, just bleeding and... <laughs> Oh, God. But his trail name. Um, so in long distance hiking culture, you leave behind your normal name and usually take on a name for the trail. Mine was Pitch Perfect or just Pitch. A lot of people mistook it for Bitch. I can see. Yeah, I can see. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty cranky. But his name was Medicine Man. And great name. And he he doctored me up. He like scrubbed the grit out of my leg. I know it was bad. Um, And he took he took care of me and like gave me some medical supplies because I wasn't carrying any, um, like a dummy. But so it goes. Okay, so I I have two follow up questions. The first one I want to hit first, just because I think it'll um, probably be shorter than the second one. But for those people who are listening, who are female presenting individuals. Mm who want to get involved in this world. I know that sometimes these spaces can be very much, you know, man-centric, things like that. Do you have any advice for those who are, who are femmes or, or femme presenting right. who um, are looking to get into this as far as safety or getting started or any sort of advice? Right. The trail in like long distance hiking is probably one of the safest places that you can be. I know a lot of folks, like one of the first questions a lot of people will ask are like, are you carrying a gun? And it's like, no way for what? Like the safest, you're safer on the trail than you are in a city, in my opinion. And one of the things that kind of, I felt left me air quotes damaged by doing long distance hiking is I now have a pretty strong aversion to cities. They just really... Mm. are agitating and overwhelming for me anymore. But I sometimes don't feel like I'm the best person to ask that question because I am fairly masculine in Mm -hmm. my internal ecology. And I know I present femme, but I always like growing up, I always played with the boys and I, I kind of identified as a boy when I was young even though I was socialized as a girl. And I would just say, like, take no shit. Like, just don't take Mm, no shit. mm -hmm. And go do it. Like, you are safe. And if you're hiking a major trail, like the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail, you find your people. And you find what they call your trail family. And they got your back. You form bonds that you will never form again in your life. Like (laughs) you share, honestly, what you share a lot on the trails about poop talk. (laughs) You find your people, you're not always going to be alone and you will be safe. And just don't let the bros hold you back. Like fuck the bros, challenge the bros. Fuck the bros. I love that. Fuck them. So last question about the PCT. I Mm -hmm. promise. That's a lot of time in the woods. That's a lot of time in the woods at night. Did anything spooky happen while you were out there? Did you see Bigfoot? Was there an alien spaceship? What happened? Anything? (laughs) Honestly, no. Really? I know. I had some really intense dreams. I did hallucinate. Oh. Um, I thought I, I was hiking along. It was so cold. It was in Oregon. I don't know what was a, what it was about the area that we were at, but it was freezing. 
on this mountain. It was by the South Sisters. And I kind of got separated from the my, my trail family, the two guys that I was hiking with. And I had just slowed down. I like stopped to pee, changed my, you know, socks or something like that. And then I got the hiking again and I looked up on the hill and I saw my friends and I was like, okay, they're just around the bend. I went around the bend and they weren't there. And I was like, hold up. What's happening? Do mm. I need more caffeine? Did I not eat enough sugar? <laughs> and I found them like, it was weird. I found them later on down the trail. I saw one of them drop their pack and just run into the woods. And I was like, what is happening right now? And I like went and I waited by their packs and it was a poop emergency. That and, does happen. Yep. It was just a big poop emergency. But I think the most, <laughs> I know, <laughs> casually talking about poop. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just run into the woods for a poop emergency. It happens to the best of us. Drop everything and run. However, the most significant experience for me when I was when I reached Washington and that's at the end of the towards the end of the trail. And I was listening to some podcasts that were very spirit oriented and talking about ancestors and like seeds that require very specific conditions to germinate. And I had picked a plant that had gone to seed that requires very specific conditions to germinate. And I was just exhausted. I was at that point where I was like breaking down and I had this very hard to describe moment with both my ancestors and with the goddess Babylon. And I started calling Babylon's name and I was like, okay, like, and I am a devotee of Babylon and do work with her. And that was the moment where it like hit me and I was like, fuck it. I'm ready to do the work with Babylon because she's not a goddess you fuck with. Like, mm-hmm. she's some big time energy. Yeah, you think about that one for a minute before you sign up for it. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> big time. And so, yeah, I had like a big breakdown moment. But the other thing that was going on was there was a lot of wildfire and I was walking through old goat growth forest and the forest started talking to me. Mm. I dropped into my heart space and just kind of like felt into the forest for it was like, for some reason, it hadn't yet dawned on me to do it until Washington. I think I was just so caught up with like miles, miles feeding myself and getting rest. And the trees started speaking to me and they were communicating about their recognition that there was fire, but they were like, okay with it. They were like, this happens Mm. and we take care of each other. It's interesting how we have a hard time hearing spirit until we are at either a breaking point or we're past a breaking point or when we go into kind of that sort of delusional space, you know, like we get that with like, you know, people who are who are fasting for a long time. So then they begin to get the visions and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that is sort of a, a liminal situation, like you kind of pushing yourself to the outer edges of your life force, like capability. And yeah. You're so much closer. I do think that's what that was. If you read the book or have read the book, Counting Folk and Familiar Spirits by Emma Wilby, excellent book. She follows this trail of witchcraft trials and kind of starts the book off with what folks in, I think it's 15th century Scotland, the conditions that they lived in. And that very often when witches met spirits, they were at 
they were like at death's door. They were suffering. Their family was dying. Their cow was sick. They were pushing it for the harvest and just at the end of the rope. And then that's when spirit shows up and, and helps them. Yeah. That is interesting. That's really interesting. And that's something too to point out as well, because when people start getting, you know, on their spirit journey or whatever, they will often really expect that like, okay, I'm going to light a candle and then, you know, Brigid or, or whoever they're praying to is just going to manifest in my room in all of their glory and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that really doesn't happen because they really reserve that for when it is necessary. Mm-hmm. And I think that is kind of an important cue to take from spirit as far as, you know, how much of this is necessary right now, you know, that, how much of this do you need? And sometimes it's not until you are really at the end of your rope that something like that will happen. Mm-hmm. So if you are going through your, your, you know, your spirit work journey or whatever, and you've been praying to a certain goddess or a God for a while, and they haven't just like, you know, manifested themselves to you, it might just simply because it's not necessary right now. And that's mm-hmm. part of faith too, is mm-hmm. realizing that it's okay to believe in them without them. You know, I, I would love to see a Marian apparition because most of my work, you know, revolves around working with Mary, but mm-hmm. also I am, not in that place. So it wouldn't make sense for her to just like show up, like, you know, what is she going to do? Hang out and do shots with me. I mean, I do that with St. Michael. I I did have, I have had a couple of saints show up, like um, Santo Toribio showed up and we had a conversation that was weird, but yeah, they, they really, they wait until that time. They do indeed wait. Um, I had a dream. I don't really work with saints, although they interest me. I had a very powerful dream with St. Cyprian he showed up. I was at a church and he was like giving me instructions. I didn't follow through with it, but I was like, cool. Nice to meet you, dude. <laughs> like, awesome. Not going to do it, but this is dope. <laughs> yeah, thanks for knocking. Um, so I think that that segues perfectly into a question that I have for you. We've talked about that life, death, calling in our craft where it becomes yeah, like a matter of life and death, where we're at the crossroads and where we felt we didn't have a choice in the matter. And what did that look like for you when you hit, when you hit that point, like, and, or did you hit that point and how did you navigate it? Yes, 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 yes. This is very interesting point of, of conversation because, okay, I don't want to dive into anything too deeply here because I, I have a feeling there's a whole episode that we're going to get to on this, but mm-hmm. we now live in a, era, I'll just say, or a period of time in which, you know, witchcraft is trending. And there's this whole idea about like, you know, anyone can be a witch. Everyone's a witch. You know, nothing special has to happen, you know, and and then that kind of gives people the wrong idea about what is necessary for some of this work. And it can sometimes be really hard for new people who don't feel connected to the work because they feel like, automatically they should have all the plugins for it. Um, so if if you feel like you are starting your witchcraft journey and you're like, I don't know, I just don't feel connected. I'm not really that into it. I don't like it. It's okay for you to not participate in it because when it comes to witchcraft, those who are really, please hear me out when I say this, those who are really meant to do it in the way that, you know, everyone can learn to do art but then there are people who are just meant to be artists. And so those who are really kind of born to do this work, the work will reach out and grab them. And 
it usually happens when they're pretty young, but sometimes it does happen later in life. People will awaken to it at a different time, but spirit will come and find you and grab you and show you what it is they want. And so for me, it happened very young where it was coming out of me all the time. I was dreaming of future events. Me making it rain was, was a very controlled aspect of it. Even to this day, I suffer with issues like I get really sad and the bathroom floods or I get upset and something explodes like a, a light bulb or, or one time it was a bracelet I was wearing. I had like this beaded bracelet that just like exploded off of my wrist. And so, and that's not uncommon in my family. That happens with my mom. It happens with my sister. It happens with my aunts and all my cousins. And let me tell you, when you come from a Latino family, that is a lot of people uh, to have it all happen to you at once. So, um, luckily I wasn't alone in that. So for me, I wasn't given a choice in figuring this out because that meant that I could potentially hurt people or it, it was just the way that it was coming out of me, the way it was showing up, it was very clear that I needed to get some sort of help. Um, I needed to learn about it. And if I didn't, I had a feeling that it would, that it would eat me or that I would be rejecting my purpose here. And therefore I, it would be unnecessary for me to stay. Um, yeah. I felt, I felt that linked into it. And plus on top of it, I had from a very young age, a huge sense of responsibility. It wasn't just like, wow, this is weird. Got to figure it out. It was no, you need to figure this out and then you need to help people with it. It, it was very clear to me that there was a reason for it and I needed to honor that and that I had a responsibility with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that it wasn't an accident. It wasn't just by chance that I ended up in this family doing this work, um, able to do this. So for me, I definitely was not given a choice in it. Um, it was very much, this is what we're doing now. I hope you're okay with it. And then from there, I kind of got my bearings and I got some books and I, I figured out how to actually access it and work with it. And um, luckily, because, you know, if, if anyone who is coming into this work and this work is truly meant for them, your first few years can be very hard because spirit is very loud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people think that they are having a psychotic break, but it's just a spiritual awakening. And so doing that so young was a doozy for sure. Right. Yeah. Kind of like speaking to shaman sickness, where some folks kind of go through an unidentifiable illness or yeah, like a mental break and it's Mm -hmm. spirit, you know, obviously I'm not a fucking doctor or a certified therapist or anything like that. And we're not here to dispense that kind of information or, you know, advice on this podcast, but definitely it is a classic theme of shaman sickness or just the, yeah, spiritual awakening being coupled by pain being coupled by great disturbances and cataclysmic cataclysmic events in your life. And I know that that's how it was for me as well. Like I knew I like had things activating really young at a very young age. I was having dreams, things were happening and the Christian upbringing that I had, the very severe evangelical Christian upbringing while you know, had magic and all of that in it, it still, my parents were very 
controlling about what I did, how I did it. And I remember distinctly once during a Bible study one morning with my family, I was probably 13. So right at that like serious puberty age, my dad asked me a question. He was like, how would you handle this situation with your soon or your husband? He was assuming, yeah, I would want to get married. I don't remember my exact response to him. I wish I did. But he stood up, walked over to me, made me stand up. He pointed directly to my heart. And he says, that's witchcraft. (gasps) I know. And I just flooded with this like rage and like just blood. And oh, it was like, I felt like eons and generations of like persons who had been behind that finger or in front of the finger Mm. rather, you know, like we're responding. And that's kind of what being in a current of witchcraft, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent now. What being, no, this is good. Being in a current of witchcraft feels like, like when I'm deep, deep, deep into the shit, I hear like the laughter and voices of the lineage and lines that came before me just Um, laughing and (laughs) ecstatically. Yes. (laughs) Preach. Yeah. Taking it to church. Right. And then when I got older, I had like set it aside as a teenager. And then I really mundane experience and how I got back into witchcraft I was unemployed in Portland working on my Etsy shop and I was binge watching like Netflix documentaries and they had a witchcraft trials documentary and I watched it and all the lights came on. I was like, there it is. You're 2000 miles away from your family. Time to do witchcraft. And I just like never looked back, but I did reach a point at which I knew that if I didn't fully embrace the work and dedicate my life to it, that I would die. Mm-hmm. It was either death or it, and I don't know how it would manifest. It could manifest, have manifested in me going crazy or succumbing to substance abuse and slowly killing myself mm-hmm. or something in that regard. But I knew that I had to, I had to do it. It's true. It's really true. That's, Wow, that is quite a story, and I love it. Yeah, it's interesting because I often tell people, and they, (laughs) let me tell you, they hate this response. When people come to me or, like, are in my DMs, and they're like, I want to become a witch. How do I become a witch? Or, like, how do I know that I'm a witch? And my response to them, hear me out, is always, try not to be. And if you can, then you're not a witch. However, if you are unable to walk away from it, if it finds you and comes out of you and does all these things, because it's, it's such a powerful experience where you are, Oh, how do I even say this? It is, it is not only in you, but it's coming out of you. You, you are a part of it. You know, you're talking about that being connected with that channel of the witches mm-hmm. and it's so important. Right. Also, I've never heard that term shaman sickness before. That's interesting. Yeah. I kind of wanted to go back real quick. There's a famous, or I guess he's kind of like a, I don't know, sort of famous indie musician named Ariel Pink. And he has this song called Menopause Man. I really love it. And it's about a transgendered person's transition. 
And there's a line in the song that says, you are trying too hard to be what you already are. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're a witch, you are a witch. Yeah. And it's just a matter of like waking up and doing Yeah, My experience with being gay and being a witch have almost been simultaneous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, not, not like necessarily at the same time, but they have been exactly the same in the way that whether I acknowledged it or tried to run away from it or tried to be something else, it was always just the truth that is inside of you that you just can't run away from. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we are, we're getting into it. We are, and we're getting close to the end. It's been almost an hour, but I have a question for you. Okay. And that I have been so very curious about. How the heck did you become a paranormal investigator? How do you do <laughs> So I, I, I guess I need to stop separating them. But but in my life and in my practice for a long time, they, they were separate, the witchcraft side of me and the psychic side of me. So when I was growing up, it became apparent very early on that something was amiss as far as, you know, psychic stuff is concerned. And, and it started off as, as dreams. And of course, as I was getting comfortable with the dreaming thing, I, of course, uttered the most fatal words ever that was like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, that I'm a dreamer and I'm so happy that I don't see the dead people because I don't think I would be able to handle that. And then spirit is like, guess what's next? Um, and then the dead people came and showed up. And that was me attempting to um, figure out middle school and high school and trying to take a test while an old dead teachers in the room asking me if I can get into the filing cabinet for some reason. And I'm like, no, like I'm just trying to take my test, Hilda. So very much like the witchcraft situation, I had a very definite feeling that I needed to do something with it. It wasn't just an oopsie. It wasn't a mistake. It was very specifically, I was given this because I needed to do something with it. So I began kind of by accident. So my mom is an animal communicator. She's a pet psychic. And when I was living in La Grande, a very, very tiny area, um, she started to kind of assist people. She kind of, she didn't really advertise, but she would help people um, either find missing pets or, or when it was time for them to cross over, she would go with them and help them through that experience. So people ended up coming to her eventually and being like, hey, so you're psychic. Can you help me with my haunted house? And she's like, no, I I don't do none of that dead people stuff. However, my 16-year-old does. (laughs) So how about you talk to him? So I started doing this in high school by myself. People would be like, I think my house is haunted. Can you come and fix it? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll give it a shot. So I began going to people's houses, their businesses, and speaking to their dead people. Um, one of my very first encounters was with an inhuman entity, which was not fun. Um, I should not have gone and done that alone at 16, Ooh. but I did and I survived. I got it out. Um, and then that kind of accidentally led me down this path. So I, I do do, you know, what we call a resolution. I don't always like to use the word cleansing because a lot of, you know, just human spirits that are in your home, they're not dirty. They don't need to be cleansed away. They need to be helped. So I always call it like a resolution or a resolve. That's what we call it on my team. That's cool. um, yeah, I, you know, it kind of humanizes them a little bit. 
but you know, occasionally you don't have human spirits, you have something else entirely. And then you definitely do need a cleansing. Um, <laughs> so I was doing that on my own for a very long time. And then it was after I moved to Portland for school that I met up with a group again by accident. I went to a psychic fair and sat down at a table across from a medium. And I was like, hey, um, this is weird, but I'm not actually here for a reading. I'm here because I have trouble doing one-on-one readings for people. So when I do the the speaking to the dead people thing, it's very hard for me to sit across the table from somebody and pull up Aunt Judy and you know their mom and their dad and give them messages or whatever. However, if I walk into a haunted home, that is much easier for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why. I think it has something to do with the earthbound spirit versus spirits that have crossed over. The ones that have crossed over are not as easy for me to pick up on. Mm-hmm. So I sit down at this table and I'm like, hey, like, do you have any advice for making that process easier? Because I, I had always kind of wanted to do that one-on-one reading for people, you know, like, you know, Teresa Caputo style. And she kind of looks at me for a while and she goes, let me just, let me just get a reading. And she closes her eyes and then she kind of makes a face and then she opens them back up again and she goes, when I ask about you and I close my eyes, I see a, a bright full moon surrounded by swirling darkness. And she goes, and I don't know what that means. She goes, however, I'm going to give you this card. It's for my paranormal investigation team. And I think you'd be a great fit. And I was like, I know. And I'm like, I don't know who this lady is, but all right, cool. So I call them. I get an audition where they take me to a place I'd never been before. We went to um, the underground in Kenton. Mm Mm-hmm. And they just take me down into a basement of a bar and go, tell us what happened here. I know that bar. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you done the tour? No. Okay, so my team does a tour of the basement. That's crazy. You know, every single restaurant I've ever worked in in my life, because I used to work as a line cook in restaurants, mm-hmm. always haunted. And I worked in always. one of those haunted restaurants in Portland for a while. Yeah. Restaurants and movie theaters and shopping malls are really haunted places. So I did. I told them what happened there. I'm like, I am like, it used to be a brothel. There was some gambling. I'm like, there's also dog fighting that happened down here. And they're like, yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep, yep. And that's how I ended up on the team. So now I serve as a cult specialist um, and psychic medium, one of our psychic mediums um, for a team in the Portland area still. And our team is a little bit unusual as we're not a very scientific team with a bulk of us. I think there's about eight psychics on the team and we all work in tandem Mm -hmm. because our goal isn't, we're not here to get evidence that the afterlife exists, blah, blah, blah. We, we don't have time for that. That's not what we're here for. And no one's honestly going to believe us, even if we do get evidence. Mm -hmm. So we're more there to help the spirits and to help people who are having issues with them. Mm -hmm. But that's a very long way to explain to you how I ended up as a paranormal investigator. Well, it's fascinating. That's crazy and really interesting. I'm not I'm not a ghost person. I don't know. People will be like, oh, you're into witchcraft. You like go and hunt ghosts. And I'm like, nah, nah, nah. not really. A lot of people don't. Yeah. I mean, I will occasionally I don't have the second sight and I'm kind of glad I don't. Um, <laughs> cause it sounds pretty scary. I, I've had friends and obviously like you as well, like who can see stuff. And I'm like, man, I'm really glad that doesn't work, work for me, but I sense. Mm-hmm. And occasionally something will really come through super strong. 
and like um i had taken a tincture one night and i overdosed a little bit on it and i was having super vivid dreams and a spirit showed up and like this is how i work with spirits (laughs) like shot up out of bed and i was like get the fuck out of my house (laughs) and i was like i was half awake grabbing the all of the incense and the light. I was like, where's my fucking lighter? And I'm like lighting all the incense. And I'm just like opened all my doors. And I was like, get out of here and let me sleep. Yeah. I do that too. Uh, You got it. You got to, you got to put that ass on notice. As they say, you got it. I see you. I don't want you in here. Right. So I I try to not do that as much as I can. At least now that we've kind of moved, we're in a spiritually quieter place. It doesn't happen as much. And my house is just warded to all hell. So I, I don't have that issue anymore. But it's always it's always kind of hilarious, but also terrifying for them, at least, when that happens and you either have a person over or, like, your boyfriend or girlfriend is there. I know. Because let me tell you, they're always like, oh, yeah, like, you know, you do that psychic stuff. Like, that's really cool early on. But then when the stuff actually starts going down, then they're like, oh, what? Like, what are you doing? What's in the house? What's up? <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's a whole episode we could have is like having partners or like dating as a witch. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I have Uh, so many terrible Tinder stories. Oh, we should totally do that. Oh my God. We'll add that to the list. But for sure. Yeah. Like when you're in the grip of it and you're dealing with the spirit and you have a friend over and you're like, pardon me for just a moment, but I got to handle this. Yeah, pardon me. I gotta just scream at the wall for a minute. It's gonna be totally fine. <laughs> it's totally normal. Totally normal. Okay, I don't want to make this run over too long, but right. I do have two very important questions for you. Oh my gosh. Okay, yes. The first one, and this is possibly the most important question I've asked you this whole time. And it goes back to something we were talking about the other day about about our Aries sun signs. We are both very Aries people. Um, And when you are an Aries, most people don't know this. We have two major um, emotions. And that is hungry and horny. That is that is how it rolls for us. It's usually waffling between one of those every so often, like frustrated gets in there. Um, But mostly that's just kind of where we waffle. So the question is. What is your favorite after sex meal and or snack? <laughs> My this is important. After sex meal. Yeah. I will be honest, I don't know that I have a favorite. I think anything, but what really came to mind was like chocolate silk pie or Ooh. like yeah, or like some kind of crusty pie. Um, with ice cream yeah and just like devouring that because you have to replenish your sugars fyi aries are exuberant lovers by the way we are it's no one's ready at first ever and Mm -hmm. you know that's an underrated part of our sign i think not everybody's like oh yeah scorpios are just so sexy and let me tell you they are they're they're very, very beautiful people but Aries will ask you if your insurance is up to date before we go further, because that's right. important. How's your heart? Yeah, how's your heart? Have you had a checkup? Is this or is everything working fine? Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah I would say pie. Okay. And lots of water. Yeah, lots of water. Lots With of water. Yeah. I love that. I love that. 
Okay, second question. Trapped on a desert island. Oh, God. And you only get access to one type of magical tool, whether it's candles or incense or books or what is the one thing that you have access to? My knife. Oh, that's a very survivalist thing, yes. Right, and not some, like, beautiful dagger that you buy at some... With a plastic hilt. (laughs) Right, and, like, jewel embedded into it. I'm talking, like, my, like, little Kershaw pocket knife. Yes. I can't be without my knife. I think that that's a good one. Well, and see, people really kind of discount that idea because when people are like, oh, like this is my ceremonial dagger. And I'm like, like you want a ceremonial dagger? Like pull a butcher knife out of, you know, the drawer in your kitchen or, right? you know, like a, a pocket knife or a hunting knife. Like get a real knife. <laughs> Let's yeah. do this. Like I'm talking hardcore here. I mean, it can be symbolic, but yeah, like go for the, go for the jugular. Like get the go real the jugular. And, and then, then pee have, on it. And, and then pee on it. Definitely pee on that night. <laughs> I think we're getting loopy now. I have to ask you what yes. the same questions. What's your favorite post-sex meal and also Desert Island? Oh, God. Okay, so the Desert Island, definitely candles. I am a big candle person. I love candles. I love candle magic. Very much into it. Mm-hmm. As far as the after-sex meal, I always... Uh, I always want something real intense because I'm usually very hungry afterwards. So I want something like lasagna or like pizza, right? Just something like just a big old hunk of something is what you need. And then there's the food. Um, but <laughs> uh, you know, I yeah. was like, oh yeah, that big old hunk of something. Yeah. You know, I second that like after like I have a sweet tooth after like sweets, I would go for something like really fatty. I tend to eat kind of like a paleo ish diet. Mm-hmm. So like right now I have some masala butter chicken on my stove and I've Ooh. been devouring that. Yeah. It's so good. That sounds amazing. So before this gets any weirder, I think this wraps up our first episode. I hope you all learned about us, learned about our practice, learned about witchcraft, learned to pee on things. yes what to and to not pee on if you would like to support this podcast please like rate and subscribe on itunes we would love to have that boost of visibility and that's how we get more visible in the podcasting realm and if you want to make a donation to our podcast to help us bring you quality content, um, please go to archaichoney.com backslash invoking witchcraft and you can make a one-time donation to help support the podcast and its production. And of course, remember to follow us on Instagram. We have our podcast Instagram, which is at invoking witchcraft, as well as my personal Instagram that is at Oregon Wood Witch. And I am at Archaic Honey. All right, you guys, stay safe out there. Don't burn your house down with those candles and uh, have a good day. Yes, and do witchcraft. Do witchcraft. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.